Hi guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Engaged Podcast. I'm Jamie. I'm Simon. And today we're going to be trying for our second attempt, our very first ever film commentary of the Star Trek film First Contact. Because uh, we tried this before, but uh, got an hour in, and Simon realised that the microphone was not picking up the audio. Well, it was on the wrong setting. Yeah, it was on the wrong setting. We also found, I think, worked out that the volume was a bit too low anyway. Um, and I think you said that when you kind of, when we were doing the countdown between that, it kind of, it blew off by a few seconds anyway. So, but, uh, you know, we've ironed out all the kinks this time round, and, uh, yeah, we just wanted to be honest. Uh, it kind of, kind of threw us a bit, didn't it, I think. Uh, but these things happen, it's one of those things, and, you know, you learn from your mistakes, so, um... But yeah, it's uh, this is obviously uh, going to be the first of uh, what was called the Borg Quartet of episodes. It's going to be, um, which is an idea that uh, Simon came up with. Uh, so it's going to be uh, obviously first contact, regeneration, Q who, and then the best of both worlds. Um, and it's actually quite nice doing this episode because it's just this comes off the back of our uh, Borg designation species one. Because uh, Simon said, well, if we're doing that, let's do this and we can lump them together, which I, I think makes sense. Um, so, yes. Uh, Jamie's primarily using notes from IMDb. I'm yeah. using them fundamentally from uh, background information from Memory Alpha and a bit from Trekcore, but not, that kind of not here nearby, but never mind. Well, it's interesting the notes anyway, because I think mine, yours is more detailed. But anything... They complement each other, is what yeah. we've been saying. Yeah. Uh, and obviously it's lovely watching First Contact because I haven't watched it it's like the very first very first thing like Simon ever got me into um, that Star Trek I've ever watched so it's quite nice revisiting this and I watched it a few years ago but it was just in standard definition but we're watching it at Simon's on his lovely Blu-ray so looking a lot uh, sharper so and clearer so which is quite nice as well yeah um, it's currently on mute because it's currently playing the the motion picture theme so when I turn off the mute it will be a bit on the loud side so but that yourself. will be um, a few seconds before the countdown for the yeah. film starting Yeah, because we've kind of got that down to a bit more of a tune yeah. as well as part of the other things that went wrong yeah. last time because yeah. I think said, if we, if we were to say the void about 12 was about the right same wasn't it so yeah uh, I think that's everything covered think so I hope so yeah <laughs> so without further ado uh, let's get this film commentary started so Simon's yep yeah. there you go so I was working with two controllers currently so I think you've got that down to a T now yeah? um because I think last time you, you, you were just like is he trying to figure out what to press and when with that when you've got that I'm trying to work out menus ah yeah so um so uh, you ready yeah. Yeah, okay, so in five, four, three, two, one. So here we go.
it's something I actually didn't mention last time, but um, the the just the opening credit sequence and the opening nightmare sequence is actually influenced by the film Total Recall. I never knew that. Yeah, nineteen ninety. Yeah. So, did you know Total Recall's got a Star Trek reference? Has it? Um, the three women with the three thingies. Um, she is. She, yeah, I think that works into Q Who. Really? Um, she's the same actress. Another one with the co- um, coffee, the drink. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, Selena Gomez, yeah. Yes, that, that, that's that woman. Yeah. Um, same actress. Oh, really? Yeah. I wonder if that's coincidental or not. That's quite interesting. Mm, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting tidbit for you. And obviously, you said to me before, it's not a sequence. Coming up, it's one bit kind of... Yeah, scared me. The one in the, the bit in the bathroom scared the hell out of me when I was seven and that, seven or eight. Yeah. Oh, no, he yelled VHS. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you think it would have scared you if you'd seen it at that age? Probably. I reckon so. I used to kind of cover my eyes at that bit. Well, it's a bit more of actual when I first saw the ball. Well, as you say. Watching this, so, yeah, I think so. And you've got to think as well, the Borg and this are different to what they originally had from the TV series, but... Yeah, but that's with more budget, isn't it? Yeah. We'll throw it into later. Yeah. But that's something with doing something again. We're actually better prepared for it. It's just a really odd thing. And... Yeah. So in a way, it's kind of not, not entirely a bad thing that, 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 that the first time messed up. But, you know, silver lines and all that. I do think it's interesting looking back at the different um, drafts of this film as well. Mm. Some of the things that could have happened. And there's an awful lot of similarities to past tense. You know, the uh, regeneration, re- resurrection script, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, because you said originally, obviously, First Contact wasn't originally what this was titled as, was it? No, it was uh, Star Trek Resurrection, mm. where um, the Borg attacked Zephyr Cochran's Montana laboratory, severely injuring the scientists. The Doctor Crush is saving, fighting to save Cochran's life, Captain Carl assumes his place in history, rallying a town around, reconstructing damaged warp ship. As action unfolds, old Picard would have become romantically involved with a local photographer and X-ray technician named Ruby, who helps Captain reconstruct a key element of the ship. Aboard the Enterprise, Captain... Uh, I said that before, Commander Oracle would it be engaged in combat with invading Borg drones. Borg in resurrection will remain faces automatons. So all this bit doesn't bother me. No. Neither does that bit. Even that bit, yeah. I'm just glad it doesn't pierce his eyes. That would be because, well, that probably would have been too graphic for Star Trek, I think, at this time. It's this bit. Creeping out. So he has. So it's kind of like a a flashback in a a hallucination, like a dreamer in a dream kind of thing. It's strange, yeah. Yeah. Oh. There we go. Do you want to talk about Admiral Hayes? Yes. Yes, so obviously the Admiral coming up on the screen. Now you've got a bit more information as well. About yes, it. yes, yes. <laughs> uh, he does appear in um, 
said non sequitur in season two of Voyager, because this is around about the same time as first contact was ninety six. Um, and he was and so Jack Shearer. Huh? Jack Shearer. That's his name. Yeah. yeah. And he also appeared in uh, Hope and Fear and Lifeline. Lifeline, yeah, as well, Larry Voyager. So we're sort of sharing facts at this point because we kind of have heard it before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I know we're watching this part of this again, but even now, I just kind of marvel just how gorgeous that looks. That just shot of the Enterprise E just coming. A mistake by Starfleet. Yeah, me and Sol were talking about this before, and they're not letting him go because of his past experience with the Borg. But in a way, I kind of understand it, but I don't. I don't agree with it. I think you are right, but I do kind of understand what they're coming from. They always from. lose Battle Six Zero Zero One with X in there. Yeah, him displaying orders that saves the day. Mm. Oh, shit. That's the thing, though. You know, Picard went for this point. Like, you know, at some point, it's just going to go now, something. So, you know, it's kind of. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things I do like is the fact you do see Picard still struggling with his experience. It affected him, and I think. It's really good writing, this kind of good continuity within the Star Trek universe. Can you try and read that, Jamie? Yeah, so the, this bit here with Picard's listening to the opera is uh, Berlioz, Le, Les Truins, he was French, sorry, no wonder Jamie's struggling, but I yeah, read as well. From the beginning of Act 5, Helis is a homesick young sailor, being, if I'm even pronouncing the name right, being rocked to sleep by the seas, he dreams of the homeland he will never see again. This is the first and only Star Trek movie to have rock and roll in the soundtrack. Do you want me to read the rest of it? No. That's that bit. Yeah. I think you read a bit too far, but yeah. yeah. Oh no, 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 okay, fair enough. Okay. I'll take that back. I was going, I hope he reads all the green bit, but you, you did, so. Okay. I thought that was quite interesting because it's kind of works with what Picard's going through at the time that's why I highlight it because I think that's very fitting for mm. that's the thing when you when you create a like that you don't just say say like this scene you use everything to convey the emotion so it's not just the, the expressions of the character or what they say or how they say it's also the music it's used everything oh yes we get the reference to the Bozeman yeah from obviously cause and effect Is 
Cinema photography in this is wonderful. Hmm? Cinema photography in this is wonderful. Hmm. Great. See, I think that next to I think that is a reference to DS9 episode of Doctor Bashir and the woman he meets from a Lexington. Maximum war. You sent Junior J in the background? Yeah. I'm about to commit a direct violation of our orders. <laughs> and Data's line is referenced back to obviously um, Spock, isn't he? In six. I believe I speak for everyone here, sir, when I say. Yeah. To hell with our orders. <laughs> that bit there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. This film opened on the same day Mark Leonard uh, passed away at the age of 72. That's the same time, is it? Yeah. It's a shame. Like, semi-past, yeah. So I'll get them out of the big dad books. But, as I was saying earlier, it's um, due to the budgetary restraints, they, they weren't happy with the way the board were in the series. So the big budget of an is on the board in a way they actually brushed us what they intended. So as a result, Simpson sets were reused uh, sets of Neil Voyager. And obviously Wolf on the Fire, originally there was actually a scene where Adrian Brooks actually had a cameo as this guy from the X-9 Organ Wolf to command the fight. It was filmed, but it was actually deleted. And I can understand that because he, he, he done it. This trivia will be better timed. Go on. The Borg Cube sold at Christie's auction for £96,000. I got it right! Because the last time we did this, I said this like 20 minutes later. See, I'm not the only one that doesn't say it always at the right time. <laughs> but you are better than me, to be fair. But well done. Is that a Which is a bit weird, because he does turn up later, so it doesn't quite work, but you know. I'm reading fluctuations in their power brand. I'm not quite sure. Because well, they... It does send a note to Hanks apparently escaping the description of his ship, so escape pods possibly. Yeah, probably. Because he just said the Admiral's ship has been destroyed, he specifically said the Admiral had died, so I think it still works. Yeah. Okay. He was the cutest, he's still alive, so. Trust his judgment. My, one of my favourite bits of trivia. Okay. Oh, yeah, there. It's an initial shot. Different. 
I said this is our last provisional track to explore taxes. So toughly this ship is referenced to Thomas Racker calling it the same thing in Defiant. <laughs> but it has been a while, so, to be fair, it's not a entirely. Fine, it has pulse phases. It's not exactly the same, so. And Deep Space Nine has phases. Is the warfare actually using fire? Press the button to fire? Lane Warrior? Jamie was saying they use an awful lot of reused stuff. So they use turbulent four sections from the motion picture, Voyager from Sick Bay, um, as they were going through their second and third, uh, in between their second and third seasons, Voyager Sick Bay, and Voyager's Cargo Bay later became Defens Enterprise's weapons locker. Got locker. Um, and the Enterprise D observation lounge was also reused and expanded and whatnot. As you say, it's, it's Star Trek doing what it does best reusing sets, so why not? So. One of the things you should have learned about me by now is that I don't have regrets. Come on, Lily, one more ring. Can't you be heavy now? I'm going up and have to a drunken pilot. I sure as hell not going out there so <laughs> What is that? That is the constellation Leo. Which is where Wall 359 is located. Yeah. You've never heard that before, then, have you? <laughs> You've never heard that before, have you? Not at all. <laughs> Man on bicycle! Man on bicycle! Yeah, you said this before, what is it with movies and like bicycles and explosions? <laughs> I think it's like a trope or something, isn't it? Yeah. There we never, go, that's it. Never, have, never be on a bicycle in an attack. No. It's the same thing in Bond films, isn't it? Cut up Facebook and then driving through um, yeah. bottles of drink. Yeah. It's a film, you got it, you kind of got to yeah, play it a bit safe. Yeah, which I think is a good thing. Because you've got to think that this is a P, not just a Star Trek fans, but just general but, sci fi fans. But there are subtle references in there. Yeah. Yeah.
Dick, I need to know the exact date. April 4th? 
Who yeah. else would have access to all that information? So I don't think it would have any. Well, we know from time right, it didn't have any impact. Yeah, and the other thing as well, and the other thing as well, it actually works into kind of Cochrane's personality. I've always always drunk anyway. It's just talking crazy. So yeah, yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. Because I think I got thrown the first time and didn't quite know what to answer. So time works well. Well, we've got plenty of time, but not so much then. Because touching a part of history. So just tactile contact, alter your perception of beings. Oh, yes. But humans, such can connect you to an object in a very personal way. Is it more real? Detecting imperfections in the titanium casing. Temperature variations. Which is funny how history records someone and then sort of never meet here because it's like, yeah, who cares about the phoenix? And he's in the bar. The reality is very different. It's like, um, I remember reading, you know, the, the, the Federation in the first 150 years, and like, they talk about that historic first meeting, we get to know in the film, it's like, the Cochrane says, well, I, you know, I had no idea what I was doing at the time, they painted this as his big historical moment, which it was, and he, and he rose to the occasion, but at the time he had no idea what the flipping heck to do. He just made it up on the fly. So, as you say, you look at it from a historical point of view and your perceptions. You have, you, you have all these kind of perceptions and you kind of you you talk it up a bit but the actual reality can sometimes be a bit different I know the <laughs> she shouldn't have gone in there I know I know well are you okay in there because this is like um, haunted houses sort of thing like don't Oh yes, and I've actually heard him scream, so it's like, what do you think? Soundproofing. Ventresi <laughs> has good soundproofing. It does. Is that why she didn't hear his... Didn't she? Yeah, why neither of them heard each other screaming? Yeah. And... So why does she go on the investigation here, is it? The Gartham Enterprise. Mr. Wall, is everything all right? Because of plot. Yes, sir. Deck 16. How many decks are there, Sorry. 24. How many does it say later? 26. That's what you're saying to me. They, 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 they get a bit mixed up with the decks throughout this film. Lieutenant Daniels get it wrong. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Voyager sick, babe. There's a girl appearance, obviously. There's a few of those on there in this. Yeah. No matter Exactly what's been happening. We just lost contact with Deck 16. Communications, internal sensors, everything. I was about to send a security team to investigate. Now, team on Deck 16, pump security to every access point. Hi, sir. Mr. Hall, 
before we lost internal sense. What were the exact environmental conditions in Bay Engineering? Atmospheric pressure was 2 kilopascals above normal, 92% humidity, 39.1 degrees Celsius. 39.1 degrees Celsius. Oh, shit. I knew that shit was doomed. Our shields were down and somehow the transport over here would not be detected. Assimilate the Enterprise. With their old school no, weapons. Hmm. Enterprise to await Respond. No. Sir, main controls being rerouted to remain engineering. Weapons. In terms of Deep Space Nine, based on averages, based on averages, the difference of satellites from Deep Space Nine, Children of Children of Time, and Emma McNaught, the issue of instance films. Should have occurred between Blaze of Glory and Emrock Nor. Well, since Cisco's mention of the recent Borg attack in Praturity's Shadow actually placed the first contact before that episode. Furthermore, based on the Starlake's initial events of the film, would have taken place between events of Star Trek Voyager episodes, Real Life, and Displaced, which I think is interesting. So, this probably would take place at some point in season 5 of DS9, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because I always thought it was after when Wolf left and became Federation Ambassador. Please state the nature of the medical emergency. I was thought. Apparently not. Okay. Oh, yeah, and Rob Picard obviously is the MH's number appearance. My doctor got a doorstop. That's obviously reference to Bones's former doctor, Layman's. Do you also think when she goes to do a dance, do you reckon that's a reference to Beverly doing it being a dancing doctor? No. No. I don't think so. I think you're reading a bit too much into it, Jeremy. Correct. <laughs> so what actually happens to Nurse Agawa then? Nothing. She's not in it, though, is she? She's just kind of... Bundled into the skateboard, I imagine. So I go back to Voyager and uh, Exposition. Yeah. Originally, I thought they were the compression markers in Voyager they used, but as you pointed out to me, they're not. So. Don't well, it. No. No, I was about that first when we did this first. So, no. But you love the compression markers in Voyager, they can't are not entirely organic. True, but like all cybernetic life forms, they cannot survive without their organic components. I ordered all weapons to be But yeah, the merging of Enterprise E with some of the Voyager sects is because um, Johnny's and. Um, I'm trying to remember the. Uh, what guy's name? They encounter Enterprise There we go, the familiar shuffling of notes. Thankfully, there's only some pages worth of this, not 20 or 30. Oh. Ah, yeah, here we are. So, the Enterprise E was designed by John Eames. He wanted the ship to be sleeker, the Enterprise D, um, and took inspiration from Walter and Jeff for his original design from TOS. He showed his initial design to Rick Sternback, who just finished designing the titular ship for Voyager. They were both pleasantly surprised that the two ships had some similar features. 
which would make sense if both classes were developed by Starfleet during the same time frame. Sternback showed Eves how many revisions he had made to make before the voyage of Sarkis approved, which helped Eves with his final design to Bartley. I have more on that. I am going to talk about music though. Go for it. Because the first time around, I hardly ever spoke about the ship, did I? No. So that's nice that you're putting a bit in there. Um, in their joint audio country on the special edition DVD, John Moore and Brandon Braga have credited Peter Lawrence with the section of Stephen Wolf's original recording, Magic Carpet, Not Some Cheap Cover. They criticised her of the choices of Robson's Ooby Dooby as being too goofy. But we, we said originally, we, we, we both think that it's alright, it works yeah. quite well for the film. I think it does. Not doing enough seeing yellow drunk. <laughs> As I said before, I the Enterprise E design. Mm. They say it's much, it's very nice and sleek. It's very it? sleek and it looks fast, motionless. Mm. Whereas, kind of Enterprise D is a bit of a cruise liner. This is no time to argue about time. We don't. As you say, it's like, you said about our first season review of Tim Jet, they're lightweights. You said you're used to Simphole, you're not going to be used to real alcohol. Oh, yeah, this is proof we're down the here, so. <laughs> as well, isn't it? The introduction of the uniforms. Yeah, it did, yeah. Uh, we're introducing this film, later adapted, adopted in Deep Space Nine in Raptor, Rapture. Um, obviously Voyager continued using the old DS9 uniforms because they were stuck in the middle of nowhere. Um, what is weird about um, Avery Brooks is in Rapture he does wear a uh, he's gone back in the wrong place. Really? He wears it in the top bit rather than in the... Anxiety. <laughs> no, he, he puts it in the grey bit rather than the black bit. Oh, really? Watch that episode back and you'll see what I mean. Yeah. 
Oh wait, it's the place, it's up there, isn't it? <laughs> oh god, yeah, of course it is, yeah. Yeah, oh. kind of stands like a sort of fabric. Kind of reminds me of, um, you remember when we did a season six we gave with the chair, she wasn't actually wearing a compact, so I still need to check that out, actually. Yeah. But all there wearing... are a few odd uniform choices over the years. <laughs> But they were wearing their combatches in the right place, yes. I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 so yeah, so yeah, no cigar goes with them, yeah. And, yeah. And she's never seen a book before, ever. Jamie, do you want to reread that pork stuff? Yeah, okay, so Mix yeah. of the two. Mix your stuff, mix mine again. Yeah. Um, you read it quite well last time. Okay. Yeah, so, um, assigned to refresh the ball makeup that previously consisted of simple pale faces and cobbled together bodysuits, Deborah uh, Everton and Michael Westmore cooperated with Hermesism and his team. As late as January of 96, pages of board designs flowed from the art department with contributions by Alex Delgate. Delgado of DS9. Working for Disney in addition to Star Trek, Delgado often works on his time off, generating complex and sometimes grotesque images of the Borg, heavily influenced by insect life and ancient Egyptian culture. While many of Delgado's ideas, including exposed organs, obelisk-shaped vessels, ultimately rejected, much of his work was integrated into Everton's and Westmore's final designs. According to Westmore, I wanted it to look like they were mortified from the inside out rather than the outside in. It was very difficult. We didn't want somebody to come along and say, oh, that looks like alien. What resulted were eight ball bodysuits that we combined with individually moulded pieces to be swapped into various configurations representing different drones. Um, instead of having an entire helmet, now we have these individual pieces that are on the head, so you get this bold look. That way, the pieces look like they're clamped into the head individually, instead of being a full pattern balls over the top. Electronics built into the ball suit often included blinking lights to spell out instruction members' names in Morse code. It's like the Simon Podgats, um, when we first tried to do this, and that was very interesting. Uh, makeup effects were achieved by airbrushing tiny wires that would appear to be just below the surface of the Borg's uh, Borg drone skin. A wide variety of human aging drones were created, including King Clemons. Kardashians and Romans. The latter two never appeared in the theatrical cut. The days begin as early as 2am and took the makeup department 30 minutes to get the eight ball backs into their costumes. There were five hours to apply makeup and 90 minutes to remove the the makeup at the end of the the day. According to Westmore, as they betted their prep times, they were using two tubes and then they were using three, and then they were just sticking tubes in the ears and up the nose. And we were using a very gooey caramel curry, maybe using a little bit of it. But by the time we got to the end of the movie, we had stuff dripping down the sides of their faces. It looked like they were leaking oil, so at the very end, they're more ferocious. Uh, as the leader of a horde of eight, Alice Queen's more cream costume was unique. A, light, tight, a tight-fitting one-piece bodysuit combined with a large headpiece and integrated lighting systems. The first of the Queen's costumes was built out of hard rubber. 
After the first of Queen's 10-day shoot, the actress suffered from blisters raised by the tight rubber. The second soft foam suit was fabricated overnight. Despite the relative comfort of the new suit, Queen was still required to wear painful silver contact lenses that could be worn for only four minutes at a time. But according to Jerry Fleck, Fleck the actress never complained. So, yeah, a lot of very interesting tidbits there about the Borg. Poor fella. Um, yeah, it's a bit just interesting tidbits. Again, just there are some of that. There are some of that in, in my notes, but I said Simon's ones are more detailed. So. set like that but what's odd is I think he it wasn't on full when he killed the crewman oh okay it would have vaporised him so it would have been on a heavy setting so what did she grab it and I think that it fell on the floor and probably went up a few I think that's how it happens you do hear a sound effect as it goes on the floor that's probably what happened then It's central computer but they stuck him to come up with dialogue for it so that's, that's how the ball queen's queen was created which I think works better It's in his eyes.
that you want me to do? Conduct your warp flight tomorrow morning. Fly tomorrow morning. Because at 11 o'clock, an alien ship will be passing. Yeah, and you've got to think, if he's questioning why, they've got to convince him to do it, so they've got to tell him those details, haven't they? So they're kind of damned if they don't, really. If they're on a survey mission, they have no interest in Earth. Too primitive. Earth is too primitive. Too primitive. Earth is too primitive. Too primitive. Too primitive. Too This is where we hear the infamous 26 six. So what happened to his weapon? Did he just jam or something? Yeah. yeah. It always happened to the random crew members, but never the main cast. <laughs> The board got very creepy in this. It makes me wonder about that. Um, was it that uh, Alex DiGaldo? What other kind of designs that he had for it? It must be really, really just creepy and dark. If they didn't use everything, which I can kind of understand because it's a Star Trek, it makes me more family friendly, isn't it? So. This. 
will be up soon, but you may want to hold your breath. It's a long way down. Now listen to me. I'm not your enemy, and I can get you home. First, you must put that weapon down, and trust me. I said last time I said that's a bit of a contradiction, I didn't realise that actually himself brings it up. Species one, some gone seven, something. Early hundreds. What? Yeah. Okay. Well, this will can then. It kind of works back into what we were doing at the fan pan as well. So I don't think it would work that way. The only thing you can get from the Hume debate is the fact that he may have uh, introduced numeric zero. It's the only thing that I can really get from, but no, not really what you're. It doesn't work, it doesn't work time wise, no. Fair enough. I'm afraid to say. No, no, I don't. You're being honest, so that's fine. It's just a thought that occurred to me, I thought I'd bring it up, so. Let's try. Thank you. As for the Borg's notion of perfection, it's a really convoluted concept. I mean, what do they mean by that? Is it like a mental thing, physically? I don't know. You have reactivated my emotion chip. Why? after 
we going to talk about what I said last time? Where did that come from? Who donated it? How? Where from? I'm not sure I really want to know the answers to that question, to be honest. Because as I said before, either option is a bit dark. It's either from a live human turned into a Borg or a dead one. Either ways. As you say. It's the whole Pinocchio thing, coming a real boy. And... Yeah. But that's what she has to do to get the How many uh, computer codes, isn't it? Spread across 8,000 light years. Which is right there, there's no need to get back to it though. <laughs> <laughs> Good, they haven't broken the encryption codes yet. Who does my hair exam? Is he talking about? Oh, tell him about um, seeing this, seeing the book for the first time. That's she seen him yet? She's about to. Yes, so. Um, I love the fact she calls them bionic zombies, actually. I think that's an apt description, actually. And last time we saw this, economics, weren't we? were talking about yeah. that, and the fact there are some still in existence, isn't there? Because you've got like Gopra yeah. and energy credits and stuff. You've got to think as well, wouldn't they need supplies to build the, these kind of ships anyway? Mm, no, you replicate. Get ready, Jamie. Yeah. Oh, we got it on the page. This legitimately scared the actress Alfred Woodard. She'd never seen TNG prior to filming the movie, so she had no clue what book drums actually look like. So what you're getting there is actually her first authentic response. It's not acted, that was her response. Something they do and deploy they use in films, isn't it, for yeah. quite often? One other thing I also like to say about this film is I like I know it's part they they're part of human history, but I like the fact that Picard and the crew don't look down on them. That's 20th century, because you think back to the early seasons of TNG, they kind of, they, they, they're quite dismissive of 20th century, Earth a bit, quite most people in the neutral zone, but in this I don't think they're actually like that, I think they actually treat them with a bit more respect, which I think is nice. The Hollet programme has an awful lot of uh, references. So there's reference to Café d'Artiste from World Wars High Paris, jean comedy cabaret from that outrageous Connor, The Big Goodbye, The Big Goodbye of Manhunt and Clues, Emerald Wading Pool from Conundrum and The Equestrian Adventure from Pen Pounds. And that is Ethan Phillips, yeah. who didn't want a credit. Um, let's say that. Um, to confuse fans who may or may not recognise him from his role as Neelix. Uh, Nicky Dinos is played by Don Stark, uh, who played Bomb Bob Pinchotti in that 70s show, which means nothing to me, but I think Americans will know. But he also plays Asrock the Eurigen in um, Laura in Deep Space Nine. Oh, really? Yeah. 
and what was it you said that there's a reference to? Oh yes, uh, Brandon Braga is clearly visible as an extra in the Holiday Nightclub as the ball into the scene. Though a writer partner Moore's appearance was never shot despite six hours of waiting with his then wife Ruby, an anniversary present. But which may lead on to the Ruby reference. In, in a second, right, actually right now, yeah. So, because of the fact I couldn't do it, no, that's why they put it into kind of make up for it, maybe. I have to talk to Nikki. I'll see you later. Okay. Is that any time we ever see Picard in a tux? Possibly. were born, wasn't that I think I said last time? Yeah. And there's another. Oh yeah. Uh, even Ensign Lynch is a reference as well. Ensign Lynch, named after a friend of writer Brian Braga, but thought by many named for internet critic Timothy W. Lynch, who, re- who reviewed every episode of Teen G and Deep Space Nine. Fortunately, when there isn't a similar, they're not themselves anymore. Comes uh, Dwight Schultz, as uh, Barclay. Somewhere about there's a 52 star American flag which references an early tinge episode, the Royal. In somewhere in. Um, um, in, in Roseman. Yeah. I, I said this before and I'll say it again. Jordan was called with those glasses. I want a pair of shades, I'll tell you. You learned about this in school? Yeah. Basic work design is a required course at the academy. The first chapter is called Zeppelin Company. Well, looks like you got it right. Commander, uh, this is what we're thinking of using to replace the damaged war plasma complex. They like that special effect. They really don't know. Yeah, she's twice, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Dr. Cochran, I know this sounds silly, but can I shake your hand? <laughs> you can't blame me when you're your idols, you know. I can't imagine that I'd be meeting the man who invented warp drive. I'm sorry. 
I'll be the same if I was in this position. centuries to come. You still don't see anything though. <laughs> Jamie did point out this before. What's she meant to make of oh yes, I've just met an alien. Yeah. Which is a very good point. It's like, yes, I'm a Klingon, mate. That meant to me to explain it. Yeah, I know, that meant to be Exposition. I always thought that um, that's a woman in neutral zone, one that fights when she sees Wolf. Always thought that that reaction was a bit more well, better done. Of all that him, the, what was it she said? All that him, the one with the head. We can't get a deflector control or a shuttle crown. Mr. Wolf, you will have your zero G concentrate. I remember it made me sick to my stomach. <laughs> So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even though this film is quite dark and poor, they always find those moments of humour that's needed, that little bit of light levity. There's a humanoid lifeline up there. 511 oh. I do think this bit where they shoot him in the face was a bit reminiscent of that scene, the deleted scene with um, Troy pushing Zephyr Cochrane over, isn't it? Because mm. he lands in a ditch in this bit. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. I think so. Oh, I just did. I feel like George's not wearing his cool glasses, but obviously he needs to use his. What is it you're costuming, Jeff? I don't know. It's a shade. Is your perfect off-duty uniform, is it one of those suits from Two Days, Two Nights and those glasses on? Is that what your perfect thing is? Probably. Okay, God, I know. Yeah, just want to make a moment here of they get one or two shots here, Jonathan Archer and Malcolm Reed in Regeneration, they get like a dozen of you know, four to four minutes, but you know. That's the thing we talk about further, 
Whip gets that commentary. Mm. That's never made any sense to me. Ah, the grade. We've changed this one for you. Me and you always have a good kick in the bad. Not well, sir. Friend of luck, the stars. Keep your eyes on the hull. Not God. Let's go. Many times in Star Trek where you see them outside of a ship's hull, is there? There's no. only a few instances, isn't there? I can only think of one other. Mine, you talk about the bombing in minefield in Enterprise. Yeah. Tell me, are you using a polymer based neural relay to transmit the organic nerve impulses to the central processor of my positronic pen? If that is the case, how have you solved the problem? Signal degradation inherent to organosynthetic transmission. You always talk this much. Yeah. Not always. <laughs> but often. Why do you insist on utilizing this primitive linguistic communication? Your android brain is capable of so much more. Have you forgotten? I'm endeavoring to come with you. Human. We used to be exactly like them. Flawed. Organic. Now we use both to attain perfection. Your goal should be the same as ours. Believing oneself to be perfect is often a sign of a delusional mind. Small words from a small being trying to attack what he doesn't understand. I understand that you have no real interest in me. But your goal is to obtain the encryption codes for the Enterprise computer. That is one of our goals. One of many. But in order to reach it, I'm willing to help you reach yours. simply imitating the behavior of humans. You're becoming more human all the time, Nick. Now you're learning how to lie. My programming is not designed to process these sensations. And tear a skin from your limb as you would a defective circuit. Because he's still processing the emotions, isn't yeah. it? So it's probably a bit overwhelming at times, isn't it? Yeah. So, you go for a sure. So, yeah, this bit here, 
When Data responded to questions from the Borg Queen regarding his sexuality, his answer was the same as when he was asked about it by Tashian in a TNG episode named Now. When in terms of Borg Queen, it's been over eight years since he last used his sexuality program, he's actually he's acknowledging his rendezvous with Tasha. Which I think is again a nice bit of continuity. Yeah. yeah. That's getting ready for another bit of trivia, so. Okay, cool. I'm not sure it's gonna be and I thought that was the one you were going to go to but... yep. okay. no I thought that's what you were saying so it's like oh, okay. so there's your one bit coming up in a minute actually I've got two haven't I I've got two yeah now so you see the lights up elements on the beacon yeah. they are the bird feeders oh really mm. So all of those are bird feeders that have been modified and then they've put a light in the middle of it. So, yeah, that's one. What's the other? Deflect, um, deflect the itself while massive was shot at angles and tends to exaggerate its size. Many input computers were labelled AE35, a subtle reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And of course, in that bit, they just cut away to... Got them, but never mind. <laughs> oh dear. Still looking for the bathroom? Doc, we can't do this without you. I don't care. I don't want to be a statue. <laughs> Doctor, you stay away from me. Standing up, dude. You can't blame him. All this has got to be a bit overwhelming for him, isn't it? You told him about this, statue? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bit too much information, you mate. So they're trying to stop them from accessing defective control, then? Is that what they're trying to do here? They're trying to take the thing off, aren't they? Mm. Um, environmental, environmental suits incorporated internal lighting and cooling systems. Conditions of flying rigs and complex stunts. Um, tempers on the set were pushed, as was uh, Patrick Ship's endurance actor suffered uh, breathing problems in the spacesuit, halting production for an entire day. Problems also arose in the realism of the sequence. The smoke rising on the set that quickly, uh, then quickly falling, contrary to the physics of real life zero G. This required freights to shoot around the smoke, or shoot takes not short enough to prevent a falling smoke from to be seen. I do want to point out, we haven't gone beyond this point, so this is all new to us. Yeah, yeah. Because the last half it was an hour and five weeks. We got up to them approaching the Spectre dish, but yeah. not beyond that. So this is all new to us. But on that though, what you said about freights, and at the end of filming, that was, uh, he was got the nick down two takes freights because of the efficiency of the start. Because they always managed to do it in two takes. Which I think is quite incredible, and actually, it speaks to the quickness of how they managed to get the movie out post-production. Oh, it's Paramount University and what he learned on the series. Yeah, because this film actually was done 
came out four months after they'd wrapped up filming. Whereas normally post-production films are normally at, at least a year, isn't it? So in fact they did it in that short amount of time, which is bloody impressive. They spent two months doing all this, which the crew dubbed um, Borg Hell scenes shot on stages 14, 15 and 8. They included heavy made-up Borg extra stunts, pyrotechnics, and one large effect which likely the film's most labour-intensive sequence to shoot is a battle on the Enterprise hull on the largest set. Wow. They did that for two months. They did it Borg Hell, no wonder. Christ. Um, oh, going back to what you were saying, despite comparison, Star Trek First Contact Rap Production 2nd of July 1996, two days over schedule, which I don't think is too bad. Not so. With flashback of the opening film fittingly, the sequence requiring Petroship to don, Suffolk uniform he worn for the last five of the seven seasons of the next gen. Um, according to Wandy Moore, everyone involved with the film knew it was going to be a hit. And certainly, certainly was. As I said, I think today, I think most Star Trek fans will be getting to one of the top, top um, Star Trek films. Not just out of TNG, but I think all of them really. Now, Metcalf's working to hit Deep Space Nine, don't they? Mm. Well, uh, that's the other thing. I think that's the other thing. I think about the first contact. There's enough here to appeal to both Star Trek fans and non-Star Trek fans. I think they find a really good balance with that. Because with those bird things, you can actually see where the seed comes out. You see the holy bits? Yeah. That's where the seeds come out. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. You turn the hawk's unfortunate device. It's a bit weird because, uh, where is it, somewhere about, because in the novel it is Lieutenant Hawker's gay, isn't it? Yes. There's a bit of controversy whether it is, whether he is or not, isn't there? Uh, yeah, let's see if we can find that bit, because it is in my note, it definitely is in my First contact novelization established that during the battle for sex 001, uh, Wolf thought that by keeping Enterprise away from the battle, Safi was doing great dishonour by not allowing him the opportunity to gain revenge against his mortal enemy. But there is stuff about Hawking in there somewhere. Yeah, I'll do my job because I found it. Mm. I'll read it out and if there's anything more you can add to it if you like. I mean, in an early draft of the screenplay, Lieutenant Hawk was gay and therefore was to have been the first openly gay character in, Star Trek, in any Star Trek series or movie. However, any reference to his sexual orientation was excised from those charts of the screenplay. Lieutenant Hawke was later confirmed as having been gay in the Star Trek Time Level Section 31 Road by Andy Mangles and Mike Way Martin. I don't know if you've got Okay, yeah, so let's. Someone's got it here, so... I don't know whether it goes on the next page, show me. Um, no, it's just a little bit there. Um, but there's a little bit extra, so... Ruby Circuit and June Production even reported by some LG 
BT publications. Another ill-fated Spice Groomman, Lieutenant Hawk, was gay. No references made in a finished film to this fact. The producers have denied the rumours. But you do sit there and go, how do you put a reference in? In a film of this type? Yeah. One thing I don't quite get. I think it would just... Unless you kind of ham-fist it in. Yeah. Then I just think it would have been just too random. It would do. It would appear just like... You get no other kind of character of that type. Yeah, it would be. So I think John... John Capone's just not... Not do it with any character. No, because then you have to kind of set him up here as yeah, or at least a reference to kind of. This is not in it enough. Yeah. There's not enough bridge shots. Yeah. Because I think you need to have you need to have a reference to some sort of relationship as well, wouldn't you? I think for maybe for that to work, I don't know. It's it would eat into the film length time. Maybe. But, um, it's a shame it's not referenced, but agreed. Yeah, I think it would have been nice if it was. Because it's again, it's another um, Star Trek failing to to um, go into that um, subject, that topic. Yeah. Which I think they finally got right with Discovery, didn't they? But they're going to get more better with, with it as well going to three. Yeah. Oh, there's been some news now. It's oh, okay. oh, I'll tell, tell you me. later. Tell me later, yeah. But no doubt everyone else knows it. <laughs> You're probably last to hear, Jamie. I'll tell you later. But it's a step in the right direction you'll be glad to hear, though. This looks a lot different. The 50 million people. The top walk speed of the thing is 1.3, 1.4. No, walk one. Okay. Or if it was just one or one point something. Please, don't tell me it's all thanks to heard enough about the great Zephyr Cochran. And later, he also helped him himself, so taught him to mentally. In, in, in uh, wasn't there, I think, in, in um, developing some kind of in conjunction with um, Emery Erickson, the um, transport was like. Yeah. So that's not your only achievement, Doctor. And that was sick. Want to know what my vision is? Dollar signs. Money. Yeah. Build this shipment. I should have no error for you, man. There is a certain quality of predestination paradox, isn't there? With the whole thing of this. Hmm. It's something that Seven kind of points out in Year of Hell, doesn't she? It's kind of the Borg yeah. responsible for yeah. it actually happening. But it's also, yeah, it also fits into some of what I was saying before, this idea of, you know, you have your heroes and, you know, you think, he's a great historic moment, but he, he didn't have a clue, I think I said, didn't I? He didn't have a clue what he was doing. In the Federation Post 150 years, he didn't have a clue. So like, he says in that, I just... It's just, he just did it on the fly. That wasn't his true intention. Do you think it's going to be weird for him? Hearing about himself in the future tense. They've adapted every modulation of our weapons. It's like we're shooting blanks. We have to work on finding another way to modify our weapons so that they're more effective. Every time. 
Sold for $1,804. The Enterprise C, which is really strange, only sold for $177.50. Really? Yeah. I thought it would have sold for a lot more. Um, a pair of boots worn by a background actor was sold for just under $51. A Phoenix button board was sold for $81. An undersuit of Alex Creek was sold for $183.50. And somewhere else there's another ship gets referenced, but I don't know where it is. Oh yeah, and the original Enterprise was sold for $1,411. Guess I was wrong. Can't just say that we've evolved. (laughs) So maybe it's just a bit insulting to us to be a century Obsessed with killing a white whale, 
So Patrick Stewart portrayed Ahab in Moby Dick in 1996, so two years after this. Thus, Sir Patrick Stewart became the first actor to have quoted Moby Dick as the captain of a vessel in more than one series. <laughs> it's quite cool. The film won four awards in 1987. The BMI Film and Television Awards, it won... Um, Jerry Goldsmith won the uh, Music Award. Brent Spiner won it for Sporting Actor. Ellis Creed won it for Sporting Actress. And Deborah Everton won it for uh, Best Costumes. There's an awful lot more of other categories. Did you say 1987? 1997. Oh, I thought we said 87. Sorry. No. My mistake. Oh, I think. Oh, they only won that in. Oh, I got mixed up. The um, the actor, actress, and costumes—they won those in the Saturn Awards. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. Is that where that comes from then? When you said eighty-seven. Ninety-seven. Yeah. Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. So I thought you said eighty-seven. <laughs> Jamie, you know you're talking about. Oh, I think you'll find this I interesting. Yeah. Read that one. You know you're fascinated by Levar Burton's um, lenses. Yeah. Read that where it says close up. Uh, close up shots of LaForge's new ocular implants were achieved through the use of a sprocket shaped shower handle mulched matted into black contact lenses. Oh, that's cool. Wow. It's amazing what they, what they use for this with some of the. But a fictional one named after Jackie Gravel, Ronald E. Moore's then assistant. Well, I think I love is the fact that Jordan talks about this in New Ground. Uh, he goes, he talks about historic events, which includes how it was great to see Stephen Copley make the first wheel drive. Not, and in this, he gets to not only witness but helps repair the engine, takes part with him. I just love the irony of that. <laughs> 
stool. <clears throat> I regret some of the things I said to you earlier. Some. <laughs> Time these references really good in a way, a lot better than used to episode commentaries. One thing is a bit weird with this is Picard tells Lily to give the pad to Commander Riker or any of his crew, but it's unlikely he would be able to because they were going to that island. Although, what I do think is she maybe went to another one where it landed in. Oh, another escape pod? Yeah, it makes, yeah, well, makes sense. Like, all the. Enterprise crew goes to Corvette Island, but she goes back to Montana. That makes sense. I think it does. So yeah, this um, this bit here. I love this song. It's my favourite song in the whole film. Yeah. So this bit where they're about to take off. Um, oh God. Now I remember. What? What? I don't want to say much of it, but I want to listen to this a bit. We'll say it in a minute. <laughs> so, as if the cockpit ship is taking off, closer on a button panel shows two adjacent buttons labeled TOS 3 and TOS 8. Stephen Cochran introduced in Star Trek TOS series Metamorphosis 1967, which is the 38th episode of TOS. I think it's pretty cool. And they have the blinky light. You know on the end of the um, view screen they have those blinky lights? Yeah. They have it in the cockpit here as well. Mm. If you look up to the top... There we go. Not, what, in there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Justin, but yeah. Did you know about that while I read that? No. That's pretty cool actually, I think. Oh yeah, TOS 3, TOS 8, yeah. yeah. Maybe I said that a little bit early, but... It's cool um, though. Yeah, and obviously this is part of the... Um, Reuse in Enterprise... Um, opening sequence, yeah. I think he shoves her in a different escape pod. Mm. I think. Yeah, because she goes to a different one, isn't she? Mm. Yeah, this is where it doesn't work, Jeremy. When I was assimilated, Data helped me. We haven't seen that yet. Oh, of course, yes, that's why that doesn't work. For... Oh, it's only one bit. <laughs> Just saying. There you go, this is the escape box. 
Let's throw that dice with the bull queen. One of those off screen things, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, well, we never, she's never referenced, but again, you gotta, she's only just created at this point in the French, so. What have you done to her? Give me what he always wanted flesh and blood. Now you're As you can see, I have already found an equal. David, deactivate the self-destruct sequence. 
Have it on the top and I have it on the bottom dash. Oh, did you see it again there? Yeah. I think. Jeffrey's tubes? <laughs> well, not unless she's. Unless she is a kid, aren't she? Was in Rascals. No, probably not. Like, you know, in the films, you only see her at the wedding scene. Okay. It's all part of Nemesis. You don't see her in interaction. It is a shame that Whoopi Goldberg wasn't in it, but it's just one of those things, really. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love to do this face there. But they've got the blinky light at the top. Yeah.
she dies there, does she just like, get reassembled later or something? Or Voyager? No, as I think, she's, there's multiple versions of her. A bit like the Queen of the Islands. Mm. I think those memories probably get transplanted into something else. Makes sense. Another one. I'll say that. But yeah, I think as Jamie pointed out in the Ball Designations posts, these two things, the last episode and this one, is the first time we've probably dealt with the Borg since we did our frame panel six years ago. Yeah. Properly, isn't it? Oh yeah. Because we have mentioned them, we have come up in you were parts, saying, yeah, but, just but not, not for long, yeah. Yeah, yeah this um, got me a bit of trigger about this next bit coming up. So yeah, it says after the Borg Queen is killed by the Warp Core Coolant, the car picks up her pulsating cybernetic skull and spinal column and snaps it in half just below the third vertebrae, rendering it completely inactive. Um, I reckon this is a subtle callback to the TNG descent in '93 when the Borg drone Croesus says to the Karna crew, biological organisms, humans, sever spinal cord below the third vertebrae, death is immediate. Yeah, I don't see that either. I'm just reading what this is here. Could just be a coincidence. Not everything has a reference, sometimes it's just a coincidence. With so many things or scenes and stuff. Again, this is why I didn't. Dismire agent like on DV, like Yeah, it has to be said, you know, memory if is no better, it's still an audience um on DV is a bit crap. It's just a bit he's <laughs> <laughs> so isn't it? He's moving. It would have frustrated me, Jeremy. Not to mention the amount of times I I even found a few times going through the notes that as you said they repeat stuff. Further down the page, like, yeah, we already said that's the way you're repeating it. One thing I found interesting about this film was um, one of the reasons Jonathan Frakes was chosen to direct was because the producers wanted someone just to Star Trek. Amongst the cast, he was the series' most prolific directors. This guy I found really interesting, reportedly, Ridley Scott and John McTiernan turned down the chance to direct. Yeah, I think I have saw that as well somewhere around. Yeah, that bit's all that bit is very interesting. That last bit there. During the credits, should we talk about how well it did? Have you got notes like that in your notes? Well, how about the reception of the film? Yeah, the box office. But I think so. So you can go into that spot. Again. The alien ship detected the warp signature and is on its way to rendezvous with history. It's just interesting how. Pre, you said this whole thing with what we're going to be doing with the episode of commentaries on the predestination paradox, isn't it? And it all just fits in really, just works really well. There we go. So, um, so something else I've got here is. Although his name is never given in this movie, according oh, to... Oh, yes, yes, that's at least I like that bit of trivia. No, you go for a drink. According to Star Trek canon, the Vulcan who salutes Seth from Cochrane 
is named Solkar. As mentioned in Star Trek Free Research for Spock in 1984, Solkar is the grandfather of Sarek and subsequently the great grandfather of Spock. It's got a different origins, but yes. It's got a different origin, but. Um, oh, yeah, according to the uh, apocryphal customised card game by the side of the Vulcan Greek Stephen Cochrane, it's named Solkar, grandfather of Sarek and the great grandfather of Spock. This was later supported by dialogue in the Enterprise episode of the Catwalk. So, as just. But yes, I was like that a bit of trivia. At this moment, there would never have been a federation. Hence why the Borg tried to stop the moment, stop the meeting. And the other thing as well is obviously this would be uh, known as first contact. But uh, since here, in the end of the screenwriter Ronald D. Moore put the date by April 5th of first contact simply because it's his son Jonathan's birthday. So, yeah. why not? I just love that, this bit music here. As we know from later in Enterprise, this is not the first time Vulcans are technically visited Earth. That's also in the notes. Oh, sorry. Did <laughs> you going to mention that? No. no. People will know they don't need to reference the same way as from people. Most people I'm know. very picky what I say and what I don't yeah. say. You Most know people that. know, so that's fine. I struggle. With, the, with my left hand, I can do it, but not with my right. I'm not upset. Oh. Yeah. Do it that one. I can do it. Just a yeah. bit of work for me. Yeah. And there we go. The handshake. Did you know that it's not just Philly on Jerry Goldsmith that does this, it's also his son, Joel Goldsmith, also does some of the music. Because oh, really? of um, his father's a hectic schedule. So he helps out. Among the two Gogsmith's work, Themis Abscess in Final Frontier references, refers to as a busy man theme was used throughout First Contact. That is the theme for the card. It can be heard just after the opening fanfare at the beginning of the film. It can also be heard briefly in Insurrection, but it's used heavily in Nemesis. Also repeated in First Contact was a clear theme originally introduced in the motion picture. News represent Wolves. As with all the subject scored by Goldsmith, the theme from Mosh Pitcher was used in their credits, and I think Sanfair from the theme of Star Trek was also used to segue into opening and closing themes. And I will never know, well, apart from Lillian Cochran, but obviously they would never say anything, would they? Well, again, going back to Stephen Cochran, they wouldn't believe it. No. It, I think it would just be a community thing. Yeah. 
in Montana where everyone would know, but the rest of the world wouldn't believe them. <laughs> I love this bit. <laughs> Is this the bit you said where they thought it was too goofy? Um, yeah, the. Because yeah. it comes up a couple of times. Yeah, I'd say I think it works fine. There we go. Yeah, I think you're definitely right. When you have it in subtitles, you definitely know it's more. Because we see this in our first. Uh, we're trying to do this earlier on. I think so, there's details. lots of things I didn't know, yeah. there's lots of things that were said that you don't pick up, mm. things that you think are said differently. Yeah, because you're so focused, if you don't have subtitles, you're not, subtitles, you're not focused on the, just focus on the visually, the screen, you're not looking at the words, thinking about the words, but if it's right there in front of you, you think differently. Um, so, Star Trek First Contact premiered in America on 22nd November 1936, number one at box office with a budget of around uh, 45 Billion. The six zeros. That'd be million, I think. Yeah, 45 million, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it opened nationwide at 2,812 screens. Um, Um, and it grossed um, $30,716,131 and went on to garner um, $146,027,888 worldwide. Um, I could go into generation but that's more numbers. Apparently, I don't do them that well. Not alright, to be fair, so. It made first contact the highest grossing subject film ever, surpassing the um, the original's high grossing, uh, highest grossing film, uh, most, uh, Voyage Home, who retained the second most prof- 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 well, profitable one after Rafa Khan until the release of Star Trek 2009 and its sequels. In the UK, despite becoming the first subject movie not to reach the top of the box office since the Rafa Khan film was a success earning um, 3.5 million, I can do that one, for its opening weekend and 8.7 million overall. It was the highest grossing subject film overall in the territory until the release of Star Trek 2009. The film, however, was considered by most not to be financial success, but critical one as well. Beating out both Rafkan and Voyage Home respectively in the regard as of 2020, only to surpass by um, Star Trek 2009 by the slimmest of margins. Uh, the film review website Rotten Tomato set uh, calculated 92 critic score for First Contact with 40 of 44 reviews giving positive remarks. So it was not only. It was, it said money-wise, it made a lot more than it. Because obviously, you measure the success of a movie and how much it makes versus how much they spent. So if you've got a movie that makes less than they actually spent, you know it's not done well. But in this case, they made a lot more than they actually spent on a movie, so you know it done really well. I said an hour and 50, okay, so probably a bit, bit longer than I said, but a bit shorter than you think so. It's about right, isn't it? An hour and 50. Yeah. But 
so there we go. That's uh, <laughs> we did it. We <laughs> we we've now almost finished. I can't talk with Jane, but I think that one one was better than probably the first one. Okay. It's very weird. With, I do want to say this to Jamie earlier because Jamie was not best pleased, but something didn't quite feel right about the first time we did it. But I'll see the second time around this felt right. Well, I can say that. I'm not quite sure what exactly, but I think it did go better. I think. And how do you think I did with me? Fine. Yeah. Don't worry too much. Oh, I know, but I was just saying in the past, I was always just reading bad facts. So I was like, yeah, that happened earlier. It's a bit of an art to it, but you're getting better. Okay. You can't do better. But well, sometimes, sometimes I can reading bad facts, you know. But CDs and cassettes. There we go. So we'll know. Yeah, I know. There's credits. But yeah, that's the first time I've seen this film in at least a few years. It's actually better than I remember. But still probably, I think it, I think it sort of always holds a special place in my heart, as I said right at the beginning. This is the first Star Trek series, so it's the first thing in Star Trek that, I, that song ever watched and a song got me into. Because I, I watched this and I read the uh, book as well. No. I think it might be another way around, but yes. Yeah. You still got that book, not Yep. Still got the uh, Sushrit.com um, printouts in it, as I gave to you. Was that a couple of hundred pages? A few hundred pages? Something like that, yeah. Still got it though. Huh? And I think probably Nemesis as well, I've got two of them. Yeah. But there we go, we are uh, done and done. Done and, and dusted. Back to the menu. Yes. There we go. So. There we go, we've now finally um, completed our first ever film commentary. And the first set of Borg Quartet. So our next one will be Regeneration, which I think will be a lot, a lot, a bit easier, a lot easier, probably. A lot safer quick. ground. Yeah, a lot quicker than safer ground. Done a few more episode um, commentaries. Mm. So, but what this has meant, we have learned a few lessons for film commentaries. Yeah. So. I think so. Next time I'll go a little bit smoother, but you really won't know how much problems we had. Yeah. <laughs> Not fun, but... No, we got there. We got there in the end. So that's the most... I think this went well. I think actually... It actually Just be glad it's first contact and not five or... Five, yeah, really fun, five. Really. Yeah, I, I, I can't really think of any other ones. I mean, no, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even. I mean, uh, Insurrection's not my most favourite Star Trek, but even I'll, you know, I'll, be, I'll be prefer doing a film commentary on that over five. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but um, yeah, we're going to cut this short because it's been a very long afternoon for us. Yeah. Um, yeah, we hope you enjoyed that very long episode. Com- uh, Film commentary. Yeah, that would be right if I got the right word. Um, But we'll be back soon enough with a media studies episode uh, en route via something we've been banging on about for how long? Probably since March. Yeah. Um, Do you want to explain why, Jeremy? Yeah, so obviously, as as everyone knows, this year was obviously the uh, 25th anniversary of Star Trek Voyager. And we recorded way back in March, so kind of beginning of just before lockdown, uh, with Clive from some kind of Star Trek. We 
did a celebratory 25th anniversary episode. Uh, so that's pre-recorded and that will be going out after this one. And that is the final extra episode of this year. Yes. As well. Yeah, because after um, after this month we'll be just... Be, uh, you may have seen on... Uh, I, I did find the post it, Jamie. You did, you did. Off the post, you might have seen Facebook and Twitter. That will be going back to bi-weekly after that. Yes, so three episodes this month. Um, so this one, then you've got the anniversary episode, and then we've got a media studies episode. Yeah. yeah. So have we, did we, have we explained it? Uh, I think we might have done it. Actually, I think we've done it in the last. Yeah, with that audience expectations of how film was on franchises kind of end. Uh, you know, it's we'll be talking about a, whole, a bit of Star Trek and a whole host of different uh, shows as well. So, but. We're desperate to get this under two hours, so we'll we'll say goodbye and we'll see you later soon. Take care, guys. Bye. See you later. Bye.